I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Um, do we have any statisticians in the, in the audience today? Anybody? No math degrees? All right. It helps me to know that because then I can adjust. I'll also throw in some dad jokes because that's what I do. I take myself not very seriously. I take sales quite seriously. So I might as well start with one. So uh, a three-legged dog walks into a saloon and he says, I'm here to speak to the man who shot my paw. Uh, all right, all right. So we're going to go through some real sales stuff here. Um, I want to start with the rule of 40. And David, in the last session, talked about the rule of 40. Who knows how to define the rule of 40? What are the components? David, you can't answer that. Ray, you can't answer that. Yep. Annual revenue growth plus profit. Right. And the the growth piece, it's it's about efficient growth, right? So the growth piece could be annual revenue growth. It could be uh, ARR growth. So there are lots of different ways to measure that. And then on the, on the efficiency side, it could be a lot of times it's EBITDA margin. Sometimes it's free cash flow margin. So there's lots of ways to do it. You just need to choose a way to do it. The analysis I'm going to go through today shows revenue growth. And I looked at public SaaS companies for about 150 public SaaS companies. And for efficiency, I looked at free cash flow margin. And, I, and you're going to see I deconstructed that a bit. I'm the kind of person who doesn't trust, like everyone says, use the rule of 40. Well, why? I mean... Is, is that actually correlated with something that matters? Is that correlated with valuations of SaaS companies? And that's, that's what I set out to try to figure out, is, is, that, is that actually the case? So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go into that. So the first thing is, um, what, th- what this is, is the median market cap multiples for SaaS companies. Um, and they are now, something is funky with this chart. I don't know what happened, but... They're way down. It's hard to see on this. Um, but you know, we were at the 15x or so back a year ago. We're now down to you know, five, five x, right? So we're off basically two-thirds of SaaS multiples. Um, that's piece one. The second piece, though, is that um, if you look at the way things were until the second quarter of last year, so Q2, Q3, Q4 of last year, when things turned, you know, there was a much stronger correlation going on between multiples and the rule of 40 before that. So on the left-hand side is the three-ish year period from 2020 to 2022, Q1 to Q1. And then the right-hand side of these is just the last three quarters of last year. And here we're looking at the multiples um, of market cap to next 12-month revenue estimates. And you can see how they've come down. But another thing you notice is before, if you were under zero, rule of 40, zero to 20, even up to 40, it was relatively flat, right? Like a 13 times multiple. 
But then once you got over 40, when you sum growth and efficiency together, you start to go up. So there is a correlation, but it only started to happen later on. Now, in the last three quarters, you can see it's, it's the, the relationship even below 40 is much, much tighter, right? So here, even below 40, we start to increase progressively as your rule of 40 increases. If you were to take all the data that's in the, 20 to the, zero, the under zero to up to 40, and then compare that to the over 40, it was about 1.5x higher for the people who were over 40 before, and now it's 2x higher if you're over 40. So the, the net net of all of that is there's a much more significant reward for being over, over the rule of 40 now than there used to be before. Make sense? Did I do that at the right level? Comprehensible for the most part? It is due to the market dynamics. So we're gonna look, what I'm going to do is I want to deconstruct that further because is it just, you know, if you guys did regression analysis in high school or college, if not, I'll explain, I'll explain it. But we're basically looking at the correlation between variables. If you just look at the rule of 40 by itself, that tells you one thing, but you can deconstruct it into those two components, growth and efficiency, and you can deconstruct it even further because efficiency is made up of your R&D spend, your G&A spend, your sales and marketing spend, your gross margin, right? All these components that go into either EBITDA margin or free cash flow margin. So I'll actually do that, and you guys can, can see the results. Um, so that, and that's what I did here. So if you, same two, same two sort of windows. The, the black bar window is, is Q1 2000, again, to Q1 2022. The blue bar is just the last three quarters of last year. It turns out that if you just did a, a regression analysis on the multiple versus the rule of 40, for that prior period, there's basically you know, no, R, R, the R squared, if, as you may recall, is the, is, the per, is the percentage variation in one variable that's explained by variation in the other. So if I were to take people's heights and I were to, uh, to regress that on weight, right? So how much of variation in height can be explained by variation in weight? is like an example, right? So this is how much of the variation in rule of 40, uh, uh, sorry, how much of the variation in the multiple can be explained by variation in the rule of 40? I'll say that again. How much of the variation in the multiple can be explained by variation in the rule of 40? So if you just use rule of 40 where you composite, you smush growth and efficiency together, until Q2 of last year, there was actually no correlation. So like I would have called total BS on using rule of 40 by itself before Q2 of last year. It just wasn't useful as a predictor. So it is now, as you can see, now 21% of the variation in multiple is explained by variation in rule of 40, but you can do better. You can do better by deconstructing it into its first two components, right? The last 12 months revenue growth and the uh, the last 12 months free cash flow margin. If I deconstruct those things, even before there was some degree of relationship, but now there's a very strong relationship, right? 40% of the variation in multiple can be explained by variation in free cash flow margin. But you can do, you know, but, but wait, there's more, right? You can do even better than that, which is if I, not, if I leave revenue growth alone, I can't further deconstruct that, but if I deconstruct the free cash flow margin into sales and marketing over revenue, G&A over revenue, R&D over revenue, COGS over revenue, changing working capital, like all the different pieces that go in, then I can get myself up to 40, 45% explainability. That's, pretty, I mean, that's probably as, like, as good as you can get. So my conclusion of this is that 
Number one, rule of 40 is an effective measure of efficient growth. Number two, rule of 40 is strongly correlated and predictive of revenue growth. And the better and better you do on rule of 40, the more likely you are to increase your multiple. So those are the, those are the key kind of quant, if you will, takeaways from that. Questions before I move off of, off of the rule of 40 a little bit? Yeah. The, uh, it can go negative, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. If you're not, in fact, that's, that's the norm, right, is maybe you have 80% revenue growth and uh, minus 120% free cash flow margin, right, and then you're a negative, you know, a negative 40 on rule of 40 there. So absolutely, you can go negative. I capped the analysis at minus 100. So um, there's very few companies that go below minus 100 in public SaaS companies. Private companies, for sure, they do. Other questions? All right. This one is a little more like uh, a little more mind blowing. But what I tried to do was I looked during that period at those at those deconstructed components. Which ones are the ones that are predictive, positively or negatively, on your multiple? So if I look in this first column here, of, or middle second column, I guess middle column, uh, Q1 of 20 to 22. Unsurprisingly, the stronger you grow revenue, the better your multiple is. Um, what is kind of surprising is during that period, there was no statistical relationship between your multiple and your margin, your gross margin, or your CAC, your sales and marketing efficiency. That's kind of mind-blowing, right? Like, how the hell can that be? But remember what the mantra was. It was growth at all costs. This is the proof that we were living for that time period in a growth at all costs model. And... The right-hand side is proof that we have shifted unequivocally into a efficient growth model because now we still have the positive relationship, statistical relationship with revenue growth. Um, now there is a negative relationship with the things that constitute the main components of efficiency. Interestingly enough, R&D, which the more you spent on R&D before, the stronger your multiple was because you were investing for growth. Now it's neutral. That very, like there is no predictive, vari the, the, the variation in R&D spend does not have any predictive value on your, on your multiple. And then ditto with, with G&A. It was bad to like overspend on G&A. Now it's just neutral. I think companies have put a lot of effort into controlling the G&A, so I, I'd have to look at this statistically, but I suspect it's much, much tighter than it had been before, right? Everyone's looking at that. All right, questions about this? Kind of cool, right? Like to actually see that we've moved from growth at all costs to, to efficient growth when you hear about it, but the data actually proves it. All right. So we're going to talk about two different things here. We talked, we're talking about efficient growth, so let's talk about the first one is going to be top line growth, and then I'll talk a little bit about efficiency and, and how to get there. And I'll share some data. I'll try to tell you know a little bit of stories uh, stories as too. I promise more more dad jokes. So. Um, I'll do two, two time ones. Uh, my, favorite time of, my, my favorite time of day is 6.30, hands down. Ouch. Uh, what's the best time to go to the dentist? 2.30. All right. So let, let's, uh, let's first look at um, the, the, what people are doing in order to improve, you know, uh, improve growth. And the, 
in the role I'm in now, so I was at sales law for four years. I was the head of revenue operations and strategy. I moved over into the venture world a year ago. I work at Insight Partners on the operating and advisory side. So I get to see, we have 500 portfolio companies or more than that. I have about 120 that I'm responsible for uh, helping them with their sales efficiency and growth. And when I talk to those companies, one of the patterns I've seen is this narrowing of the ICP. There's a lot more emphasis being put into, hey, I can't prospect. I was prospecting everybody. Now I'm going to be very, very diligent in, in who I prospect. I'm going after, you know, I'm going to score my accounts. I've seen a lot of new startup formation of companies who are just doing scoring algorithms. Uh, I, was at, I was at another conference this morning, and one of the exhibitors there was a company called Forward.ai, and that's, all, that's what they do. They help you score leads, accounts, um, opportunities, anything you want, it will do predictive scoring. And there are lots and lots of them out there, but that's one example of, of a company. But putting this emphasis into your ICP, which companies you're going after, and then the personas within those companies. Looking at the data to figure out, like, hey, if I prospect this particular persona, it doesn't turn into an active pursuit, so I'm just going to stop doing that. So that, that's a part of the intelligence that's going into it. Um, the, second, the second piece about driving growth is just being maniacal about pipeline generation. It sounds so obvious, uh, but I, I had a bit of an epiphany. I mean, I've been in this game, as you can tell from the lack of hair and what's left is gray. Uh, I've been in this game for a long time, and I, I, I was always aware of the following expression. It's, and here's the expression. It's not what you know. It's not, it's not figuring out what to know. It's doing what you know, right? It's not knowing what to do. It's doing what you know. There it is. And um, I always knew that, but in sales, right, like at the end of the day, you generate pipeline, you advance and close opportunities, right? Rinse and repeat, and then you, you know, delight and renew your customers, right? There's no, not rocket science, but I, I was listening to a podcast recently. It's the Hunters and Unicorns podcast. Someone turned me on to. Anyone heard this one yet? It's, a, it's like, you, this is a must listen. The, they're, the people who run it are recruiters. The questions are not always great, but the guests are amazing. So they interviewed... 20 or so of, of 33 senior leaders who came out of PTC and Blade Logic. So PTC is, is kind of the, the archetypal progenitor of the enterprise SaaS sales. They invented Medic, if you guys have probably heard of the Medic framework for qualification. So they invented Medic, uh, and John McMahon there was like one of the inventors. John Kaplan also, who went off and started Force Management, which is a, a sales training company. Um, so anyway, if you listen to that and you hear them talk, the epiphany I had was, oh my God, everybody in these companies does things with extreme accountability and extreme discipline. And that, that I'd never seen that before. I've walked, worked in a lot of SaaS companies. I've talked to a lot of SaaS companies. I've never seen the degree of discipline. And this applies to pipe gen. If, you, you know, if you're running a company and you just make sure that you are generating pipe with the right types of customers, the rest of it's going to happen. So anyway, this maniacal kind of make sure you're covering your pipeline. The data here is whatever. I just is is a window dressing for, for you. But just make sure that your your reps are generating the pipeline, and you can work backwards, right? You know what their goal is. You know what the win rates are. You know how many how many activities are needed to generate an an opportunity. You're going to go backwards, 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 and set those pipeline. Uh, targets and even if you're enterprise selling, it doesn't have to be weekly op gen. It could be monthly op gen. But but and even if you're upgrading, the same thing. So work through work through your numbers on that. Um, the other thing I notice when I listen to these podcasts is just this maniacal dedication to deal inspection. I've sat through a lot of quarterly business reviews, QBRs, deal reviews, and so on. 
And managers are generally not very, in, they're, not, they're not like intense enough, I think, about deal inspection. And when you listen to the PTC Blade Logic folks, you might walk away saying, I don't know if I want to work for this company, right? Uh, has anyone watched the movie Whiplash before? There's a few yeses. Yeah, definitely our director has, has watched Whiplash. So the, the premise of Whiplash is basically at what price greatness? It's about a jazz drummer, and the, the, the teacher of this jazz drummer pushes his drummers to the absolute edge of, of like physical and psychologically to the edge. In fact, I think one of the students who was like the dark part of it was, you know, one of his students, you know, didn't make it. And, and the one who he was teaching in this particular movie is like on the edge. But when you listen to the people who worked for PTC Blade Logic, they knew what they were signing up for, right? Like they knew that they were going to be pushed to the edge and being held of accountability. Uh, you know, I'll reference one other thing, which is the book Radical Candor, written by Kim, Kim Malone, Kim Scott Malone. You know, most of managers, most humans, I think, operate, unfortunately, in the ruinous empathy zone, right? Is like we, we care deeply, but we don't challenge directly. And to be a great sales leader, you need radical candor. You need to care deeply and challenge directly. And that's what I saw in the PTC Blade Logic uh, folks who talked about it. And this is just like an example is you, when I talk to reps who've won or lost deals, they win or. Okay, Siri. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I talk to reps about, I, I, I used to do a podcast. I did something like 300 plus episodes of Hey Salespeople. I do another one right now. And when I ask reps, like, what was the deal that got away? It's, it's always something in here, right? Like, it's always something in here. And I have, uh, I don't have the P in here. You can have two P's, paper process and partners. I have both the C's, like, whatever. Whatever your deal health and inspection qualification framework is, hold your reps accountable every single time you meet with them across whatever criteria they should be at at that phase of your sales process. Um, if you do listen to that podcast, start with John McMahon's episode. It's episode three of the podcast. Questions about that? I'm going kind of fast, but less data, right? I gave, gave you the hard data at the first. Yep, three minutes. Yep, I'm wide out the clock. All right, so uh, let's talk about efficiency. So we talked before about, about growth. So the number one way I've seen to I increase efficiency is like right off the bat is you can just fix your span of control. We've slowed hiring. We had very large spans of control before, so lower your span of control. This does a lot of, uh, a lot of goodness. There's uh, um, the former CEO of IBM, uh, Gina Rometty, released her book last, last week. Uh, I devoured that book. It's awesome, awesome book about leadership. And one of the things she mentions in there is the first thing, one of the first things she did when she took over at IBM was cut like multiple layers out of the middle. It saves costs, but it also speeds efficiency in decision making. So that's kind of piece one. Uh, piece two is we got, at, we got ridiculous out of control on quotas, right? So we started, you, you know, we recommend from Insight, we recommend that you set quota to OTE or OTE to quota multiple at 5x. So your 20% cost of sales on new business. You know, we were routinely seeing 4x in, in, our, in the companies that we were funding as well as just out there in general. So you know, this is the, now the time to start to get back to rational, rational territory. A lot, you know, companies in general have cut about 10 or 15% of their sales force. And in the process, that, that kind of creates 
more of the pie for the remaining reps to be able to, to digest. So there are things, you know, you can't just raise people's quota without doing things. One is you're giving them more accounts if you've cut the number of salespeople. Another one is that you um, may be doing more on marketing and so forth. So you just need to make sure that you're feeding, feeding them properly. Uh, and last but not least, it's just optimizing your tech spend. Things got out of control, tools-wise. Uh, as I mentioned, I was at a conference earlier today, and one of our portfolio companies, coincidentally, I didn't even know she was speaking, but was speaking Sandy Robinson from Nimbus. And she mentioned, like, companies should be keeping a list of all of their tech, all of the spend, all of the renewal dates, and not just going into the, the, the mode of, oh, my God, I need to figure out what I have. You should always know what you have, and you should always know what's valuable and check and don't assume that you're just gonna auto-renew everything, everything every year. So that's a kind of third way to control the efficiency. So that is what I have with 20 seconds to go. Helpful? Cool.